You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where although you may be my lucky star, I am the luckiest one by far. Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date September 2004 with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two most awesome Green Lanterns ever to grace the comic book page. Hi again, my name's Sean Engel, if you didn't know that already, and today we're going to be covering, well, not a midriff bearing, you know, episode because I just decided to put that in because it's a Madonna song opening the show. But for all the ladies out there, we are bringing the sexy in with some Hal Jordany goodness. You know, not that I'm all that interested in that, but if you like that, there you have it. Plus, we're also going to be dealing with the character Evil Star, who I guess is a formidable Green Lantern villain. Who knows? And we'll also be bringing the sexy in with his little impish starling minions, which are just akin to Oompa Loompas and really kind of creepy anyway. Plus, if you liked it last issue, we've got more of Hal Jordan being a jerk. Yeah, Guy's not the only one, and I'm here to point out whenever Hal crosses the line of being a decent person. But that about does it for preamble. I would like to mention, if the podcast sounds a little different, that's because I'm recording in a different room from where I was normally recording. Uh, over the past week, we've moved into a new house, and now I have my own little man cave upstairs, and the floor's not hardwood like it was at the old place. It's carpeted, so it might be a little bit less noisy. Um, you might hear the air conditioner because it's upstairs and it's got that, so you might hear a few different things in the background, but hopefully sound quality won't be a problem. But... I'm certain, you know, listening to my voice is painful enough without having to deal with any other distractions in the background. There you go. So, in order to ease your pain from listening to my voice, I'm going to drop a few promos in here for a couple of podcasts that I really enjoy listening to and think you should probably try and listen to as well. So, we'll go ahead and listen to these podcast promos, take a break, and when we come back, we will get into our coverage of Green Lantern number 27. So, stay tuned.
Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Billions! Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. And they protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? <laughs> well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs> Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com. Just once, in a lifetime, does a podcast come along that pushes the boundaries of the medium, that redefines what it is to be an internet radio broadcast that touches us, reaches into us, inspires us, teaches us, that causes us to re-examine just who we are and why we are, that expands our horizons, that makes us completely rethink our destiny in this cosmos and our place in the grand design just once in a lifetime but while we're all waiting for that podcast to be invented why not give a listen to hey kids comics 
Hey Kids Comics is a smart, fresh, and hilarious podcast that looks at all kinds of fun and interesting topics related to the ever-evolving world of the comic book art form. You can find Hey Kids Comics at apleyland.podomatic.com. That's Hey Kids Comics. Sorry. The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. So, uh, how's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here! Harry, what? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A good editor checks out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of once you went straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live. The Man of Steel. Man of Steel coming through. Nobody move. This is a bust. The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel. Put me down. Listen, pal, don't ever call me Superboy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us, and so from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics to the novelizations, to the audio drama, and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we're back. But before we get into coverage of Green Lantern number 27, let's go ahead and check the mailbag and see what we've got from our wonderful, wonderful listeners. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. (laughs) And our first email comes from Ben Perlman, and he writes in saying, Let me start off by apologizing for bringing up a topic more than a month old, but I've just been able to catch up on some of your wonderful podcasts. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate you catching up on the podcast. I appreciate you're still listening. And don't worry about being behind on podcasts. You know, I get that way all the time. And, you know, I have to say, when some of the podcasts run, you know, two hours and up, if you've got a lot of podcasts to listen to, sometimes it is difficult to try and find time to fit those in. So I completely understand. He goes on saying, I was wondering if you can clarify something to me in regards to Alan Scott being reintroduced as a gay character. 
I keep reading slash hearing how by doing this, it means that Jade and Obsidian can no longer exist, which messes up Kyle's history since Jade was such a major part of his life, when it appears that in the New 52, Green Lantern's history is more or less intact. My confusion is why is everyone concerned about how it affects Kyle's history? These events take place on Earth 2, it says so in the comic's title, not the main Earth, so who's to say that Alan Scott, Jade, and Obsidian are still not around on the main Earth, but haven't been reintroduced yet? Yeah, I fully agree, Ben. Uh, essentially, they're telling a new story with new characters on a different Earth, so yeah, this Alan Scott doesn't have to be the Alan Scott of Earth, and technically in this continuity, Alan Scott, Jade, and Obsidian could exist. It's just that DC and their divine whatever have not decided to mention those characters. The Green Lantern continuity, from what I've heard in the New 52, is all the same as it was before Flashpoint. You know, even though everything else has changed, Superman, Flash, you know, whatever. But it just irks me that now people are going to be thinking that this character of Alan Scott is the Alan Scott that's been around for 70-plus years. I've discussed it enough, and, you know, it annoys me, but unfortunately there's not much I can do about it aside from talk about it on this podcast and hope that, you know, cooler heads at DC will prevail and this may all get worked out in the end. Ben continues, As always, I really enjoy your podcast. I'm glad that I'm once again caught up. Looking forward to hearing your coverage of the now non-GL guy and looking forward to writing it again. Thank you, Ben Perlman. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate you writing in, and I'm looking forward to Guy as well. We're still having a little problem getting uh, together with my special guest to record the Guy Gardner solo podcast, but I think we're going to try and get that done pretty soon. So I will definitely have coverage for that, and I'm going to try and sync up the coverage of the Guy Gardner comic with the cover... uh, Uh, with the coverage of the Green Lantern comic, because eventually down the line there are crossovers between the two, and it would help if, you know, you're reading one comic, Green Lantern, along with the Guy Gardner one, so they kind of make sense. So, uh, probably in a couple of weeks we'll be starting to cover the Guy Gardner solo series, and I can't wait for that. Then the next letter we get is another one from Ben Perlman, and he asks, just a quick little question, is it just me, or does Guy's apartment look like the same setup as Ralph Cramden's from The Honeymooners? Well, Ben, I hate to say it, I probably couldn't tell you because my knowledge of The Honeymooners is pretty scant. I know Jackie Gleason and Art Carney starred in it, I know it's considered to be one of the bedrocks of, you know, sitcoms, no pun intended, obviously, but... I really never got into it that much. I was more of, I guess I watched more I Love Lucy and Gilligan's Island when those shows were on in syndication. So Honeymooners I'm not specifically knowledgeable about, but I will take your word that the apartment probably does look like Ralph Cramden's. Personally, I thought it looked more like a typical 80s or 90s bachelor pad with you know all the Sylvester Stallone and John Wayne stuff going along but it might have been the aesthetic design. I'll take Ben's word for it. And our last email for this week comes from the ever-awesome Luke Giaconetti, host of the Earth Destruction Directive, co-host of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, purveyor of the website El Jacone's Comic Bunker, and being Carter Hall, a Hawkman website. Whew. Try and get that in one breath. Luke says, hey there, Sean. 
I've just got finished listening to Just One of the Guys number 25, the big throwdown between Guy Gardner and Hal Jordan. While I was not overly impressed with the outcome of the issue, me too, a knockdown dragout, in a knockdown dragout, Guy should win that fight over Hal, your description of their fisticuffs really made me want to buy the issue. I will have to put it on my comics to find list. I guess Guy had a good run of time, but it seems odd to hand the book back to at to hand the book back to Hal after making a big deal of Guy taking over. Was the book tanking sales-wise, perhaps? Well, I don't really know about that. I checked as much as, well, a Google Internet search will allow you, and they really didn't have specific data for this time period for sales. Um, maybe they did, and it's probably on a site where I'd have to pay for it, and I'm a cheap bastard, I'm not going to. But what I did find out was that Green Lantern number 1 was, I think, in the top 25 selling books for, I would want to say, the 1990s. Maybe even, well, I'm pretty certain for 1990, maybe for the 1990s as a decade as a whole. I mean, obviously, the biggest selling one was the issue Superman 75, where Superman died, but you've got to kind of imagine that's going to be a big selling issue. Luke continues, From the ads, I remember Cool World very well, mostly for the Ralph Bakshi connection. My brother and I grew up watching Fire and Ice, which was a Bakshi movie. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Bakshi? Yeah, I'm just going to pronounce it that way. Which drew inspiration from the fantasy arc of fantasy art of Frank Fazetta. So a seemingly big-budget Bakshi movie, especially one with a sleazy tone, yes it was, was very attractive to my brother and I. Sort of a quote-unquote forbidden fruit type of movie. It's not that great in the grand scheme of things, but it is definitely a memorable little gem from its time period. Yeah, Bakshi was also known, Luke, I'm certain you know this now, for the movie Fritz the Cat, which was, I guess, you know, considered to be kind of uh, controversial at the time. It was an X-rated cartoon and dealt with the adventures of a sort of Felix-like cat who went around doing a lot of canoodling. Never seen it before, but I assume it's kind of dirty. Luke continues on, regarding Encino Man, the only thing I really remember about that movie is that my girlfriend in high school, Kat, liked the movie, and she used to quote one of Brandon Fraser's lines, shoosh, at me frequently. That and the song, You're Invited But Your Friend Can't Come by Vince Neil was on the soundtrack. When my buddy Rhett and I saw Vince Neil sans Motley Crue in concert, I predicted that he would sing the two solo songs of his I Knew, You're Invited But Your Friend Can't Come, and Sister of Pain, and all the rest of the Motley Crue songs. I was correct. Yeah, Vince Neil, I've seen him touring around uh, Oklahoma. He's unfortunately been playing some of the casinos. It's kind of a sad drop from, you know, the heydays of the 80s and the hair bands, him touring with Motley Crue. But I guess it's a gig, and you take what you get. Finally, Luke finishes up with, Kid Chameleon was a fun game, one which I was disappointed never really caught on. There's a lot of different helmets for the kid to wear, and in order to navigate each level, you had to manage which helmet you grabbed at which time in order to make it out of the stage. So there was a little strategy involved with the platforming. It also had a really bright design and a lot of colorful graphics. I never had this one, but I played it on an emulator. Yeah, I haven't tried out Kid Chameleon, but on Luke's recommendation, I've been searching out a uh, website called uh, www.s sega.com it's basically sega with an x extra s in front of it 
and they've got a lot of emulated games there. Uh, a lot of them, you know, that are covered in the comics that we've read. Plus, you know, uh, they're all Flash-based, so you don't have to download anything, and you can play them on your computer, so it's really fun. I actually spent some time a while back, you know, from Crisis to Crisis reference here, playing the uh, Death and Return of Superman game, and that was kind of a fun little side-scrolling platformer where you just basically beat the crap out of the, you know, underworlders, and, you know, I... Unfortunately, you can't save, so that's kind of a bummer, but in the game, you can actually kill Doomsday. Well, but then he kills you, but otherwise it wouldn't follow the storyline. This isn't really pertinent to the show. Luke finishes up with looking forward to more coverage of Guy Gardner. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Luke. And I would also like to thank Luke, uh, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, and Chris Honeywell, half of the Two True Freaks, for being so polite as to invite me to be on their show, the aforementioned Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which in a couple of, well, probably sometime next month, or maybe the month after, because we're going to Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. The two true freaks have been talking about that a lot, and I'm deciding to make it down there as well. But back on point, the uh, guys from the vault have asked me to come on as a another guest host as we start to cover the Italian horror films of people like Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci, I believe. A lot of other different Italian giallo filmmakers. I am horrible with Italian, but it looks to be a lot of fun. I've watched some of the films of uh, Dario Argento, and they're a really creepy, really beautiful look at films, and I can't wait to get into them. So if you have a desire to listen to me on another show, not talking about comic books, go to Two True Freaks and check out The Vault. The Vault of Startling Monster Tale, Horror Tales of Terror. Try and get that out. Well, that ends email. I'd also like to mention that in between the time between issue 26 and issue 27, Green Lantern Annual number 1 came out, and it was part of the Eclipso the Darkness Within saga. Now, Unfortunately, I don't have that issue, and I really don't want to seek it out and cover it, simply because it's Eclipso, and secondly, because Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor over at From Crisis to Crisis have already done a pretty good synopsis of it. So, go check out back issues of From Crisis to Crisis, or if you haven't been listening to it, definitely go check it out, and somewhere back there they've covered this issue of uh, the Green Lantern Annual number 1. But we'll go ahead and go on to this issue of Green Lantern, issue number 27. Green Lantern number 27 was cover dated August 1992. Its release date was on or about June 30th of 1992. The cover price was an increase of 25 cents, so a, what, a 25% increase to 125 US. Um, even better in Canada, where it's $1.50, but it stayed the same in the UK at 60 pence. The title of the story was Of Superhuman Bondage. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler M.D. Bright, inker Romeo Tangal, letterer Albert Guzman, colorist Anthony Tolan, and editor Kevin Dooley. Shackled by Seaweed. Just give me a second to let that sink in. Green Lantern Hal Jordan tells his captor, Evil Star, that he won't give him back his power. Evil Star retorts, saying that he's been trapped here for too long, and that he aches for the stars. 
but as the villain is monologuing how cuts out of his restraints with relative ease because they are seaweed and looks to go kick some ass. Evil Star counters by using his star energy to create a giant shark construct to attack the lantern, but Hal dodges it and tosses a starling into the shark's mouth. Dissipating the energy shark, Evil Star fires a blast at Hal, while a starling flies by him and punches him out, knocking him into the beach below. Using a trick from Green Lantern number 37, In a row? Evil Star traps Green Lantern in a bell jar made of stellar energy. Make that yellow stellar energy, since it's mostly, mostly from the Earth's sun, making Hal's ring blast ineffective. And to even up the ante, the Starlings have grabbed a couple of innocent children and are holding them hostage. Seeing no hope, Hal acquiesces, and Evil Star pokes a hole in the bell jar so Hal can beam him to the galactic core. But Hal cleverly shoots out two battering rams that knock the Starlings out and swoop around and blast Evil Star. After a quick rescue of the children, Hal grabs Evil Star, planning to remove his star band, the source of his power. But seeing it's not there, Hal realizes that he's internalized his power, as Evil Star zaps Hal with a blast and teleports away. Unable to trace him, Hal walks the rescued kids back to their parents. Some time has passed, and Hal arrives at the motel he beamed Carol to the last issue. Relating what happened to him, Carol says that she can't get involved with Hal in more than a professional manner. Hal, ever the gentleman, tells Carol not to do him any favors. Carol retorts, saying she understands his life is dangerous, but she wants to be there for him. Captain Sensitive says it's probably for the best, as he has hopes of getting freaky with Hot Widow Mom Rose, even though she's light years away on Oa, and he cluelessly leaves, heading to his room to work on creating his air transport business. Meanwhile, Evil Star and his minions look at the night sky, hungry for the power of the stars. The blast from Green Lantern fueled him, and he craves more. Not caring about Goldface's plans for an interstellar crime ring, Evil Star vows that he will take Green Lantern's power himself. Cut to the next morning, as Hal is at the local diner, flirting with a cute blonde waitress. Musing that maybe it's best that he and Carol just stay friends, Hal heads to the finance agency to see about a loan. Some small amount of time has passed, and a dejected Hal exits the finance office, his loan rejected due to spotty employment history and bad credit. But just as Hal is about to drown his sorrows, Carol approaches him and asks him how things went. After Hal tells her the bad news and walks off, a determined Carol enters the finance office, determined to help her former lover. In the meantime, Hal has made it back to his hotel room. Tossing his paperwork on the bed, Hal reaches for a bottle of aspirin until he realizes he hasn't charged his ring in almost 24 hours. But as he materializes the lantern from its pocket to the universe, two starlings are outside his window, spying on him. The diminutive minions split into even tinier starlings and fly into the open window. Realizing that he's charging in front of an open window, Hal pushes the curtain shut and then turns to see a swarm of mini starlings carrying off his lantern. Giving chase, Hal is held back by one of the starlings as the others abscond with the lantern. The source of Green Lantern's power.
Well, this issue is a lot better than the last one, in the fact that Hal is a bit more reasonable in it. He's not a giant tool, and he's basically not condescending to everyone. He's not the kind of jerk that, you know, people would expect Guy Gardner to be. This is the more heroic Hal, which I think everyone knows and understands. But he still does have his moments, especially when it comes to dealing with Carol. I mean... As a reader, I'm certain we're supposed to be able to see the goings-on between Carol and Guy, or not Carol and Guy, but Carol and Hal, and her feelings towards him. But Hal is just blatantly oblivious, and it sadly speaks for his character, you know, because he's supposed to be very worldwide and very knowledgeable of things, but he just doesn't seem to get women. So, I guess I have something in common with Hal Jordan as well. Never mind. Let's go ahead and head on to the notes for this issue. We'll start with the cover. It's a really nice cover of an overhead shot of Green Lantern Hal Jordan being tied up by the little diminutive Oompa Loompa starlings, which are creepy not only because they're midgets, but they're midgets in purple skin-tight leotards. It's uh, Plus the... Uh, Covers got a lot of star imagery from, you know, of course, Evil Star and his shadow looking looming over Hal. Plus the way Hal's, you know, standing, he's got his legs out and his hands balled up in the fist, and his image is like a star. The little starlings surrounding him are in sort of the image of a seven-pointed star, and the seaweed that they're pulling are stars as well. So if you haven't Got it by now. There's a lot of star imagery on the post on the cover. However, how is being tied up by seaweed? I don't know if seaweed is an effective means of binding someone, but they've decided to do it for the cover, and there it is. Page one, and we've got the sort of ridiculous title of of superhuman bondage, which is obviously a take of the novel of human bondage. Take that what you will, and you also get a picture of Hal tied up in seaweed again. Obviously not the most effective way of securing a superhero who can create anything with his ring and his mind. But it is what it is. Page 2, panel 3, and yeah, I was pretty certain this would happen. Hal cuts through the seaweed with a simple pair of ring construct scissors. Not the brightest move, you know, but I guess you work with what you have. So, there you go. Page 3, panel 3. I guess one of the things that Evil Star can do with his star energy is create constructs as well, and he decides to create a giant yellow floating shark. Nice. At least it isn't the actual shark, or this would have been an even lamer concept in this book. Page 5, panel 1. I guess the starlings, even though they're little big-headed midgets in purple jumpsuits, I guess they're pretty badass because they actually punch Hal in the face and knock him down. So, honestly, it's Hal that goes down with one punch and not Guy. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, Same page, panel 3. Evil Star does, I guess, what he did in the issue, or I guess volume 2 of Green Lantern, issue 37, and encases Hal in a bell jar. And Hal mentions Sylvia Plath, who I guess was the author of the novel The Bell Jar, which 
deals with depression and psychological issues, and I've never read it because, well, it sounded like a girly book. If it's good, let me know, and maybe eventually I'll check it out. Page 6, panel 2, we get our 90s reference for the comic as one of the kids that is kidnapped by the evil star Starlings is wearing a crude Bart Simpson t-shirt. Not certain if it's a knockoff, but it was the 90s and there were plenty of Bart Simpson knockoff shirts out there. But the character is a rectangular-headed, spiky-haired guy with big eyes, so you've got to assume it's Bart Simpson. Page 8, panels 3 and 4. Here's one of those things where we get the ring doing things that it's never done before, in that how, after blasting little starlings with a battering ram that he had materialized out of a little hole that Evil Star poked in the bell jar, he's, quote-unquote, programmed the ring blast to turn around and come back and hit Evil Star from the back. It's one of those things that conveniently appears whenever Hal needs it to appear. Then it's never mentioned again. Skipping ahead a few pages to page 11, panel 9, we get the first reason Hal is big a jerk as guy for this issue. Hal basically tells Carol to go pound sand as he tells her not to do him any favors for trying to help him out. Yeah, Hal is clueless when it comes to women, especially women that he's had an obvious good relationship with. He spent all this time trying to rescue her, and now he's just blowing her off. It doesn't make any sense. But I'm certain the Dark One, he who shall not be named, will probably some way retcon this to making sense in the New 52. Page 12, panel 4, reason number 2 this issue, why Hal is a big a jerk as guy. I know I risk my life to save you, and We've been together for most of our life, but really, I want to bag this hot widow mom who lives on a planet a gazillion miles away who might have the hots for my best friend. Is that okay, Carol? I knew it would be. You're a pip. Did I just say you're a pip? Jeez. Page 14, panel 4. Man, is it just me, or do supervillains just constantly, any time they're alone by themselves, have to raise their hands and scream to the heavens? Is that just a trope of supervillainy? I hope I never have to become a supervillain. You know, I'm not really good at screaming out obscenities to the sky and planning my revenge, and besides, it would probably annoy my neighbors. Page 15, panel 5, reason number 3 this issue for why Hal is a big a jerk as guy telling the hot, blonde-haired waitress that, no, 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 you're a step up, or a big step up from last night. Uh, is he talking about his fight with Evil Star or his, you know, argument with Carol? Either way, Hal's being a jerk right now. Page 16, panels 3 through 5. This is a nice sort of, well, it's not a nine-panel layout, but it's got a middle three-panel layout where you see Hal entering the finance company, some time passing, and then how exiting a finance company, and during that time you see a meter maid ticketing a car. It's going to have a nice little payoff here in a page or so. Then on the same page, panel 6, we see the caption box saying, Should have known. Spotty employment history. Can't establish myself as a good credit risk. Should have known. All that drifting, All that drifting would come back to haunt me. Yeah, I guess that's what happens when you go hang out with a hippie like Ollie 
Way to go, Hal. Then on page 17, panel 6, we get that payoff from the previous panels with the parking maid as the guy comes out and sees the ticket on his car and has the sort of, you know, whatever motion lines coming off him to show that he's angry. It's it's just kind of a neat little side humor gag that they've got in the book. And I like the way that Gerard Jones and Brighton Tank all throw those in every once in a while. Page 18, panel 2. It's kind of sad that Poor Hal can't even afford aspirin as he reaches a bottle of the headache medicine. He has to take the knockoff aspirin, A-S-P-E-R-I-N. It's probably got some negative side effects, like causes cancer or who knows. Same page, panel 5. Way to go, Hal. Why don't you pull the recharging station for the most powerful weapon in the universe, pull it out of its pocket universe, right in front of a window opened in a hotel in BFE where anyone can see you. Way to go, Hal. Then on page 19, we've got the starlings, and there were two of them looking out the window, that change into these little mini starlings. And the way it happens is really creepy. Their bodies just sort of dissipate out, and the larger starlings start popping out of the top, and as the more starlings pop out, the starlings' bodies dissipate, so you're seeing starlings pop out of these bigger starlings' legs until there's just a multitude of these little tiny ones. It's it's a really creepy image. That's kind of nightmarish. Uh, it, you know, it, it reminds me of, you know, kind of a John something you'd see in the John Carpenter Thing movie or something like that. It's it's creepy. Ugh. Page 20, panel 3. Oh, now I decide to close the window and shut the blinds. Way to go, Hal. You're always thinking ahead. Then on page 21, panels 1 and 2. and panel 1, the uh, little miniature starlings crash out the window with Hal's lantern. And then in panel 2, Hal flies out the window and... As he sometimes does in previous issues, he phases through it, but this time when he phases through the window, he repairs the glass, so it looks like nothing's broken. I thought that was kind of a neat. It's a way to disguise that he's been there, and it's a way to make sure that he repairs all the messes that he gets, which is something Hal doesn't seem to do too often nowadays. And then finally on panel 22, we get a one-page splash of how reaching for his escaping batteries, one of the starlings holds him back, and he screams, My power! Yeah, Hal, I can only think of one thing right now. Well, we're boned! I heartily concur, Mr. Rodriguez. But that finishes up my notes. Let's go ahead and take a quick look at the ads and see what kind of stuff they've got for sale for us comic book viewers. On the front end side cover, they've got another ad for the Ferrari Grand Prix Challenge for the Game Boy, NES, and Genesis. Covered this before. Get the Genesis one, definitely. A few pages in, we get Spreak and Find for Spree. It's a crossword puzzle. Well, not really a crossword puzzle, but a word find, where they ask you to find the word Spree ten times in the puzzle below. And then look for it at the store. So, I'm going to try and cross out all the times that I see the word spree in my comic and basically devalue it. Idiots. Don't don't make don't do that, kids. Try and keep your comics intact. Next page we get a, an updated uh, 
panel for the Great Eastern Conventions with the July Comic Book Convention. There they've got schedules in Buffalo, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Louisville, Paramus, and Syracuse. And they've also got prices for DC Comics for sale, where you can order 10 for 5 and up to 1,000 DC Comics for $300. And they pay postage. 1,000 comics. Wow, that's... For 30 sets of comic, that's not that's not bad, you know, especially if you got some good ones. Later on, you get a house ad for more than superheroes, but we've got them too. And they've got some uh, images for the annuals and some one-shots that they have in there. One of them, of course, is the aforementioned Green Lantern Annual Number 1, where Eclipso happens to play a part of it. And the artwork of Hal Jordan is kind of wonky. Hal looks kind of beefy. He looks more Superman-esque than he does Hal Jordan. Then we've got one for Catwoman Defiant, where Catwoman is the pawn in a trap to capture Gotham City crime boss. And I ask, can Batman save her? And being as it's Catwoman, she's not only showing her boobs, but her butt as well. She's sort of lying down on the floor, looking up with her boobs squashed on the floor and her butt way up in the air. It's objectifying Catwoman. So there you have it. Then they've got one for Detective Comics Annual number 5, an Eclipso or a Darkness Within crossover, and the Batman Gothic trade paperback. And finally on the page, they've got an ad for Penguin Triumphant, the uh, Penguin one-shot. So some interesting ads for DC Comics at the time. Next page, they put the Mile High Comics ad, and I'm not going to look through to see which one is the highest-selling one this time. Let's just say it's probably a Spider-Man one, or an X-Men, or a Wolverine, or a Cable, or some hot comic. You never know. Moving in a lot further in the book, we've got the typical hodgepodge page, nothing we haven't seen there. Then we get another More Than Superheroes, but we've got them to add. And this is for some of the Vertigo comics. We've got Doom Patrol number 57, which is the secret history of the Doom Patrol. We've got Doom 4 special, with it looks like a Mike Bignola cover of... People, I don't know who the heck they are. And then we've got a special of Miss Tree, special number nine. Unfortunately, I didn't keep up with too many of the Vertigo books, so none of these characters, aside from Doom Patrol, really resonate with me or have any connection to me whatsoever. So, sorry, folks. A few more pages in, we've got a subscription ad to order the Superman series of comic books, including Action, Adventures, Superman, Man of, and Man of Steel. Plus, if you want to, for 12 year or not for 12 years, for 12 issues, you can all order all the titles for only $50. So, I guess that's not bad. You're getting 48 issues for $50. That's a pretty good price deal. Especially since I think the issues were all running, what, $1.25 or $1.50 each? So, not bad. But the next page is where it gets a little bit political and... Not a bad way, actually. The page says, One thing that has influenced every presidential decision in the history of the United States. The Constitution. For 200 years, through war, the Depression, even civil unrest, the Constitution has influenced every presidential decision. It's what, our, it's what the framers of our Constitution wanted. They knew what it was like to live in a country governed by a king. So when our founding fathers created the Constitution... They wrote Article 2 specifically to define the powers of the presidency. To take a closer look at history's most important job descriptions, send for a free information kit which contains a copy of the Constitution. 
write Constitution, Washington, D.C., 2006-3999. The Constitution. The words we live by. And it's really kind of cool that DC Comics, you know, would be promoting the Constitution. I guess it makes sense because 1992 was the 200th anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. And it's good that DC is approaching this in a nonpartisan manner. It's always good, whether or not you're liberal or whether you're liberal or conservative, to read the Constitution and know what's going on in it. It is the law of the land, and it really does define the way that, you know, this country was put together. But uh, off of my soapbox, let's go on some more ads. Actually, we're coming toward the end, so we'll go ahead and tackle some letters. Nothing really important here, except there are a lot of people who said that they actually liked Flickr in the book. Flickr, the flame-headed Elizabethan, you know, poof with a whip. That's the supervillain that you like. Well, I guess if uh, your villains for Green Lantern are the shark and sonar, maybe Flickr is pretty impressive. Not to me, though. But there weren't any admissions to the Green Lantern Corps this time around in the letters pages, so we'll skip that. Uh, There's a half-page ad for the most dependably enjoyable series of superhero comics currently available is the Superman line from Comic Buyer's Guide, March 6, 1992. And it says, the never-ending battle rages on 52 times a year. And it's a nice ad for Superman. It looks like it might be a Bogdanov image of Superman. Uh, Again, I'm not really certain, you know, who artists are, but um, remember, it kind of looks more like Bogdanov. Final uh, back inside cover, we've got a Super Nintendo ad for He's No Dummy. It's Smart Ball. Have you heard of this game? Neither have I. It's from Sony Sony ImageSoft, which made some good games, but unfortunately, I don't remember this one. And finally, the outside cover is a rehash of last time's Shift Happens. It's Top Gear for the Super Nintendo system. Yeah, I'd be more inclined to play it if it were a game that involved Jeremy Clarkson, James May, and Richard Hammond blowing up ridiculous cars and driving really fast around a racetrack. Just me, though. But that does it for Green Lantern number 27. This is the second part of the Green Lantern Evil Star trilogy, if I didn't mention that at first. And come back next time where we're going to be finishing up the Evil Star storyline with Evil Star Rising Part 3. Where Evil Star steals Green Lantern's lantern. Not that that means anything, I'm certain how it gets it back. But I hope you'll be back for next issue, next Friday. We'll catch you then. Bye bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engel. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show to the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback from the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too. 
as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. And be sure to leave me a review there. I'd love to read it on the next show. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Lucky Star by the ever-talented and frequently aging Madonna. You can go buy the album from iTunes or download the song from iTunes, but if you want to be a really cool person, you'll go to twotruefreaks.libson.com, click the Amazon banner at the top of the page, which will take you to Amazon.com, where you can go download the Madonna song or a myriad of Madonna songs or a myriad of other things. Every time you go to tutorfreaks.libson.com and click the Amazon banner and purchase something from Amazon, a little bit of money goes back to Chris and Scott and makes sure that Two True Freaks stays on the air, giving you oral pleasure. Uh, that's oral as in A-U-R-A-L. Never mind. <laughs>